We're very fortunate today to have David Sachs with us. I think many of you guys know David Sachs, but I'll give a quick introduction. Founding COO of PayPal, founder and CEO of Yammer, um, and then most recently in his operating repast, uh, went into Zenefits during its most uh, difficult time as CEO. And then a very prolific and successful angel investing career in few companies you guys might have heard of, Facebook, Slack, Airbnb, SpaceX, just to name a few of them. And then most recently, David started Craft Ventures, a $350 million venture capital fund. So we have um, a lot of topics to cover today. Right. Um, so David, you, um, you've made some big bets both with your career and as an investor in trends kind of before other people saw them. So FinTech with PayPal, the, the consumerization of, um, of communication in the enterprise with Yammer, which Microsoft obviously bought for a billion over a billion dollars. I think what's probably most interesting to start off with for this audience are sort of what trends are you most excited about? Um, what are you thinking about? What are you investing around? Yeah, um, well, th thanks, thanks for, for having me. Um, I think the computing era that we're in right now is the era of devices and sensors. Um, you know, each successive era in computing kind of redefines the one that came before it. When you had the shift to, to mobile, we kind of interpreted, we, we kind of reinterpreted the PC as a insufficiently personal computer. The mobile device is really the most important, mm -hmm. is the most personal computer. I think what's happening with device and sensors is we'll look back at the mobile phone as just one of, you know, N devices that become internet connected and transformed in the process. Um, we'll, there's going to be a proliferation, it's already happening, of, of new kinds of devices, appliances, sensors. Um, and, um, and I think that's, that's creating a lot of interesting new, new business models. And you just, you just invested in one, I think, that you announced last week. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Swarm? Yeah, so Swarm is a critical enabler of this trend. Um, it's a, it's a, um, Swarm actually creates a, it's a satellite network, a new satellite network. Um, but what it, what it does is it, they've got a, a chip the size of a quarter that any developer will be able to put in their IoT device and it will just be kind of magically connected to the internet. Um, right now, if you want to connect uh, a device, an you know, IoT uh, device to the internet, you need to have a Wi-Fi hotspot or a cell tower. And uh, what Swarm will enable is just, you know, it'll work anywhere, just kind of automatically you pay a, a metered rate for your data. And, uh, and right now that's not really possible with the existing um, you know, satellite solutions. They're just kind of too expensive and, and the procurement process is too difficult. And so what, what, um, what are the, the kind of the killer apps that once this is built, do you think will sit on top of these devices? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, so, so, so the ones that are easy to think of are the ones where um, people are trying to connect um, a sensor where there's no where there's no internet access. Mm -hmm. It could be you know a shipping container on a boat that's in the middle of the ocean, or it could be um, a sensor in an agricultural field, or it could be you know traffic lights. Well, how do you you know how do you connect those things easily? But I think what's really exciting is that once you create kind of ubiquitous connectivity, what are the new applications that we're going to see that don't even exist today? Um, and in the same way that um, you know, every, every expansion of internet access has led to all sorts of, you know, whether it was, right. you know, first it was kind of, you went from dial-up to, to uh, broadband to Wi-Fi, and this is kind of the next step in that evolution. 
And so, I mean, a couple questions for a company like this, right? It's, it's a big ambition, big vision, um, a lot of potential applications. I'd say first, how do you do diligence, the, the, the founders and the technology in a space like this? Yeah. Start there. Yeah, so I mean, in this particular case, we used um, some experts in our network to help us evaluate the, the core technology, the, the kind of the micro satellites. Um, what they've done is they've invented a satellite that's like this big. I mean, it's it's tiny. Um, the fully well, it's it, the they can put a satellite in space for about one percent of the cost of those wow. big iridium satellites, and wow. so it's just incredibly disruptive on the cost side, and that allows them to offer this this kind of um, you know uh, very simple metered rate, this kind of API for internet access. Um, you know, I think for us, we're not we're not big on necessarily taking a tremendous amount of invention, like scientific invention risk. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, the company had already proven the satellites work. They had three of them already in space. Uh, and so we just had to believe in the market adoption. And we, we feel very comfortable taking kind of market risk. Mm -hmm. and, and so then flipping to the market side. Mm -hmm. So sort of the world is your oyster uh, in terms of go-to-markets, a bunch mm -hmm. of different applications from bringing internet to the developing world to connecting lights. I definitely have one light in particular I'd like to move <laughs> faster. So if you know right. anyone, once it's live, please, please lob in a request for me. But right. um, how much do you, do, does the team think, how much are you looking for the team to think about go to market at this stage? And how far in advance are they developing those, those use cases? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it extensively. Um, this, the, um, for, for me, uh, the, the, the founding team having a distribution plan is, is critical. Um, in fact, I would say that the, the team innovating on the distribution side is as important as them innovating on the product side. And I'm always looking for a team that's figured out a distribution trick the way we did at Yammer with, you know, we, the, uh, Yammer was one of the first viral applications inside of the enterprise. And so we use kind of consumer virality as our trick to grow in the enterprise. At PayPal, it was also viral, but we, um, we use sign up and referral bonuses. Uh, we also bootstrapped off of eBay. So I'm always trying to figure out, like, what, what is the thing that's going to allow this to grow at some unusually um, fast rate? Got it. Wonderful. Um, so maybe shifting gears to mm -hmm. another kind mm -hmm. of company in this space that we both probably love to talk about, but, but right. uh, you've been with since the beginning. Um, is Bird kind of one of those companies that you think fits yeah. into this thesis? Yeah, totally. Because um, it's, you know, Basically, what you connect a scooter to the internet, and you you know pack it with new devices um, or new sensors like GPS and and other things, and all of a sudden you've got a new mode of transportation, mm -hmm. and so that's that's really exciting. I think it's a great example of how when you take a kind of non-obvious device and connect to the internet, you can enable all sorts of new businesses. And I do think, from our standpoint as um, startup investors. Uh, the, the device has to be somewhat non-obvious because Amazon and the big Google, the big companies are connecting all the obvious ones. I mean, Amazon right now is running down a checklist of they're connecting your microwave and you know all that. And so if you're just kind of doing that, I don't think it's interesting enough for startups. Um, but if you take a really non-obvious one, I think Bird's an example of the kind of magical things that can happen. And I really do think it's a new mode of transportation in cities, that's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Awesome. Okay, we're going to unpack Bird a little yeah. bit. Has anybody, any, <laughs> anyone heard about of Bird? Can you raise your hand in the audience. Okay, just kidding. Um, so uh, let's let's start with the easier stuff. Um, 
You funded Bird in the first $3 million round. It was right in our backyard in Santa Monica. We eventually got smart and caught up. But um, what did you see at that stage? Um, this is a founder you'd worked with in the past, but in a space that you know no one was talking about back then. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, Travis had worked for me at Yammer. I thought he was a tr uh, terrific entrepreneur. And uh, he came to me with this idea. I thought it, it was crazy. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're just going to leave these scooters. No one's really seen this. This, this is really a new type of, of scooter. Well, and you had funded him uh, in something yeah. that didn't didn't. Yeah, I'd written, right? written his first angel check in his previous company, uh, which was an on-demand car washing service. It was called Cherry. Uh, company didn't work, but it created some interesting tech. It got acquired by Lyft, and then he got recruited to, to be an executive at, at Uber. So he was very deep in this transportation space. And what he saw at Uber was that half of trips in cities are under three miles. And he discovered this really new form factor with these new battery-powered scooters uh, that were coming out of China. And he you know, had this idea that we could solve that last mile problem uh, more cheaply, more more, more easily, more convenient uh, doing this. And I, you know, when I first heard the idea, I thought it was crazy because you know, you're just gonna leave these things on the street and people are somehow gonna know how to use them. And, um, but then I actually tried the product and it was you know, a lot more magical than I was expecting. And so I, I, you know, I wrote him, uh, I wrote him a, an angel check and then when we had the fun, we wrote him a, a you know, venture check as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember, obviously we, the, the business grew up under our eyes. And so I remember one day running around UCLA mm -hmm. and nobody was on any of the bikes and everyone was on bridge scooters all over the place. And it was just right. very clear that something was happening. Yeah, in fairness to you guys, <laughs> I kind of, I, I had the opportunity to preempt the round and um, because of my relationship with Travis. So um, yeah, it would have been a, a tough one to, for anyone else to get. But um, but yeah, I just thought it was this, this really magical thing. and. Um, uh, and you can see how transformative it's been. And uh, now, now we're in a little bit of a, um, a, a sort of a, a pessimistic, you know, a pessimistic news cycle about it. But um, people should just keep in mind that one year ago, um, scooters were only available in one city, Santa Monica, that was actually criminally prosecuting the company for launching there. And a year later, we're now in hundreds of cities all over the world. It's become this revolution. And cities have now embraced it, accepted it. We've got operating agreements with dozens of cities now. The mayor of Boston just said yesterday he wants to welcome them. The New York Times has come out on their editorial page saying that they should be brought into Manhattan. So this whole wave is just getting started. So I mean, do you think that, so? This market euphoria, slight pessimism, right. euphoria. So um, let's kind of like plot the, the <laughs> right. let's plot the line through it. Um, yeah. What, so what, um, let's hit some of the harder topics. Talk, mm -hmm. Let's first talk about uh, safety, right? right? So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot, a, a lot of opinions on safety. Um, I think people don't necessarily know the safety story of Bird, but tell me how you think right. about safety as the, you know, the original board member and, yeah. and what Bird is doing um, specifically in that area. Yeah, so, um, I mean, from the beginning, Bird's been very concerned about safety. One of the things we realized very early on is that um, night riding, so, you know, uh, riding late at night would be dangerous for riders. We, we never allowed it. Um, so I think, you know, we turn off all the scooters at 9 p.m. If you look at where the fatalities and critical injuries have actually occurred, it's generally been between midnight and 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, you know, our competitors have not done this. They want the extra rides, um, and we think it's irresponsible. Um, the only uh, fatality that's occurred on a bird um, has been, it was actually a bird that was stolen out of a, a charger's house hmm. at, and was ridden at 4 a.m., which kind of 
it's the exception that kind of proves the point about this, you know, riding late at night. Um, that wasn't something we could control because the scooter was in task mode. Um, but if you look at our competitors, they've just had, you know, multiple fatalities at night. We think it's really irresponsible. Anyway, the company has, I think, done a lot on the safety side and, um, you know, they've given away <coughs> a lot of free, free helmets. Um, they'll send you one if you want one. And um, they, they've done a lot on the rider education side as well. And so we have Travis here tomorrow, so I'm yeah. not going to go too deeply on unit economics and other questions that he'll likely get to. But I think like from the perspective as the, of the investor and the board mm -hmm. member, what are some of the lessons learned? What are some of the things you think the market's getting wrong? Um, yeah. You know, add to or dispel any myth that you'd like. Yeah, so I think in 2018, the, the big uh, challenges or the things that the company had to prove were, first of all, product market fit. I mean, again, everybody was incredulous, including myself, about this idea until Travis proved that people wanted it. And I think the company has proved that in its first year. And the other thing is regulatory acceptance. I mean, we had to fight these battles, including in you know, our home city. But I think that cities have generally come out on the right side of this, which is it's going to be allowed, there's going to be operating agreements or creating permits. And so I think those are the big battles. I think in 2019, the big battle or the big things that the companies are focused on is dialing in the unique economics. And there the challenge is, and what we've learned, is that if you just use a retail scooter, a scooter that's available for sale on Amazon, um, which is what all the copycats are doing, it does, it, the economics of that won't work. The scooters aren't rugged enough. They're too easy to steal. There's no supply chain for parts. And so what we're seeing from Bird and you know, also the, the other kind of market leader, Slime, is they've now both vertically integrated, developed their own supply chains, developing their own scooters. And I think it's a significant barrier to entry because if all you're going to do is use these retail scooters, we can tell you that that business does not work. Yeah. But it's what was available a year ago. So when Travis wanted to prove product market fit, it's what was available, it's what he used. But now we've, again, gone vertical and are building our own. Yep. So last quick question, and then we'll mm -hmm. move on to another topic. Um, it's, it's, it's a company that's raised a lot of capital quickly yep. and is sort of in a blitz scaling moment, right? right. And suspending so quite a bit of capital to take share. Um, wh what, how do you think about you know, bumpy markets for, for a company like Bird? Well, I think that is the right strategy. I mean, PayPal did the same thing. You know, we were, um, you, you, you raise a lot of capital and you, you burn a lot of capital in order to take market share. And I think that is the right approach. Um, the reality is that um, consumers uh, aren't going to want to have five scooter apps on their phone. You know, there's going to be, you know, one, maybe two scooter apps on their phone. And, you know, getting the, the biggest footprint, creating the most liquidity in the market, uh, developing that supply chain. Those are all capital intensive things, but they're what is required to win this big market. And I'm not a fan of the, the kind of the lean startup methodology, at least once you have product market fit. I am a fan of uh, blitz scaling, which is once you know that there's a market there, you need to basically go all out to win it. And I think that is the right strategy for Bert. It also knowing that there's margin there, right? And that, yeah. it, and so, um, but, um, but totally makes so sense. So we, 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 we know there is, um, because with every successive generation of scooter that we use, the economics keep improving. And um, so, you know, if you look at like Bird Zero, which is their own homegrown scooter, it's much more ruggedized. Um, it's better on anti-theft. Um, the, the economics are vastly better than the retail scooters. And there's, I mean, I don't want to spill the beans, but there's new models of scooters coming. And with every successive generation of supply, the economics just keep getting better and better. 
Um, you know, one thing I can tell you about like retail, the retail scooters is you can now buy a $25 um, chipset or brain kit from China and convert those, you know, those Xiaomi or Ninebot scooters to a, you know, you can take that stolen scooter, convert it to a personal scooter, and that's I think what's fueling a lot of the the uh, the theft. Um, right. You can't do that with with a bird with Bird's own scooter because it's something they completely own. There's no chipset for that. So it's just one example of how everything gets better when you control it yourself. Absolutely, um, absolutely. One of the things I love about LA and about scooters growing up here is you literally would see women in their couture. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was you know off the so ready to wear, but mm -hmm. you know they were dressed up with their heels on their bird scooters, <laughs> and it was you know it was a beautiful sight to see all kinds of people using bird scooters. Totally. So um, let's hit. Um, I want to get into some other things, but before we do, I know you're you're looking at a couple other themes mm -hmm. just to leave it with you know potential co-investors in the audience. What are mm -hmm. some of the other themes at a high level you're thinking? about? Yeah, so um, I, I have two partners at Craft. At um, you know, uh, one of them, Jeff Floor, former founder of StubHub, um, which was a, you know, the most popular ticketing marketplace. He's spending a lot of time looking at marketplaces, uh, but the big shift he's seeing is that we're moving from product marketplaces to service marketplaces. It's, it's not really about selling goods. Um, it's more about selling services, and a lot of those are B2B marketplaces. Uh, and so we're, we're taking a look at a lot of those things. And then my other partner, Bill Lee, spends a lot of time on emerging areas like um, VR, crypto, gaming. And, um, you know, and what we're seeing there is we, you know, we made a, a big investment in Cloud9. We, we mm -hmm. led that Series A round. It's an esports company. Mm -hmm. Esports has just gotten huge. Um, and we think there's a lot of things like that in, in, um, in, in gaming and, and virtual brands that, uh, that get us excited. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Well, so shifting gears a little bit, um, you, you know, one of the things we, 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 we sometimes see in VC or newer VCs may be a bit more timid. Um, you know, there's kind of a, maybe sometimes a lot of copycat investing, a dip right. the toe in. You've made some big, bold bets very yeah. quickly. <laughs> so, you know, one of my favorite and most overused words in venture capital, um, uh, it's like the, it's the synergy of its time is conviction. Right. But um, tell us, you obviously have a lot of conviction to make the bets you've made. Right. Tell us what gives you conviction. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not like tremendously worried about job security. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and our LPs are, are diversified. So um, I kind of figure, it's okay for me to be more concentrated. I, what the number one thing that gives me conviction is when I can use the product myself, and I mean that's not always possible. But when I can use the product myself, and it's a product that is useful to me, and I love it. And so you know, Bird was a case like that where I, I tried it down here in, in LA, and then when I went back to San Francisco, I felt myself missing it. So I'm trying. You know, I'm listening to that voice in my head. Um, same thing with Uber. You know, I. Um, I think I discovered Uber in 2010, and mm -hmm. six months later, like I got rid of my car. I just went full Uber, and so I reached out to the company to invest in that. Um, same similar uh, story with House um, and, and Plan Grid, which I was doing a construction project, and I used Plan Grid for my plans, and I used House for my interior design, and um, and so then I, and so anytime I'm using a product, I will reach out to the company and see if I can invest in it. Um, obviously, that doesn't work for something like Swarm. And you know, th then I'm going to rely on things like, um, you know, obviously how great is the team, and have you know, um, does this product make sense? Can I put myself in the shoes of who yeah. the customer is, and um, 
And have they thought of that distribution trick? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I always say, um, uh, I know I'm very excited about a company only when I'm driving my husband crazy. <laughs> um, and if I can't stop talking right. about it, he's like, just make the investment already. Right. So I think it was passion, do the work, all the stuff that you know our mothers probably told us, but not, not everyone does. So that's exciting. Um, OK, so we're, we're going to shift gears. And um, I'd love to talk a little bit. I think you and I, we were just talking about this. We met. Um, back when you were starting Genie, which uh, is the predecessor company to Yammer. Um, so first question, you started Genie in LA yeah. many moons ago, um, but then you moved Yammer up to the Bay Area. What is that, you know, why'd you do that? Yeah. And, and tell me how you would think about it today. Yeah, I think, you know, that was 10 years ago. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we, we felt that um, the, the LA ecosystem, the tech ecosystem was a lot smaller back then. I, it's not a decision I would make today. I think if, if I were down here with a startup today, I would not try to move it. And the reason is just because the tech ecosystem in LA has just gotten so much bigger, it's so much deeper, there's so much more talent. Um, there's you know, a lot more investors like you guys who cover it. Um, it's, um, there's just the, the, the relative advantage, I think, of Silicon Valley is just it's much less. And, um, and there's a lot of advantages to LA now as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know, LA is an ecosystem that we really like as investors. So, um, you know, I was an angel investor in SpaceX, and we did a, a follow-on investment through the fund. They've obviously been here for a long time. Um, there was Bird, Cloud9, the esports company I talked about. I think that uh, that LA is definitely the epicenter for all things esports and content and gaming related. Um, we uh, we actually did a um, a seed round in a in a B two B cannabis marketplace in LA, is kind of the in, which is based in LA, and so so if the other ones yeah. don't go well, <laughs> we got you guys covered. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's been you know there's just been a lot of really interesting companies um, that are coming out of LA now, yeah. and uh, so we think it's a great ecosystem. Awesome, awesome, and and um, how. How, you're also somebody who, um, in the distant past, made a movie, Thank You for Smoking, which was a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, those of you who are like in your early 30s, go back and watch it. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I'm just curious, like, how do you compare and contrast innovation in Silicon Valley um, and, and in tech in LA to innovation in more of kind of the traditional content fields or Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, I, um, after producing a movie, I, I went back into tech. Uh, I, I, um, I wanted the uh, the relative sanity of the, uh, the 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 startup business after after my exposure to Hollywood. I think you know the the basic problem is it, entrepreneurship is very hard in Hollywood in the kind of traditional um, the traditional content business because the the entrepreneur uh, really kind of um, gets squeezed between the um, the studios the kind of the, the distribution gatekeepers on the one hand and then the the, the talent. On the other, and those are really the two big, kind of extract rent extractors. And I think it's very hard for an entrepreneur to come in and disrupt that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously Netflix has done it on a very big scale, but I think for a startup, it's just very tough. And the, the, you know, the great thing about startups is just you know, um, the, there there are no real gatekeepers, you know, yet, um, and the talent are the entrepreneurs, and so. You know, I always, there's always something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about when I got to Hollywood and started producing this movie, you know, I, I, I learned that there were these people called the talent and I wasn't one of them. And um, <laughs> that always, you know, made me a little bit kind of concerned. Um, so yeah, I just think, um, you know, tech 
moves a lot faster, it's much more scalable, um, and uh, it's much more kind of free and open to entrepreneurs, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The room, though, always, uh, when there are problems, there's yeah. room for solutions, so, yeah. as well. Um, we're, ju we're just about out of time, so maybe we'll leave with mm -hmm. one kind of last thing, maybe a bit of advice. Again, we have a lot of VCs in the audience, so you've now been on both sides of the table. Yeah. Um, I'm, what, as a kind of former operator and now board member, what's your advice to you know, somebody sitting around the table as a relatively new board member or you know, a long-standing board member as to you know, what's been most valuable to, to you? What, what, what's the most valuable kind of board behavior you're, you've seen and what are the things that drove you crazy as a founder? Yeah, I, I had you know, really, I had a really great board at, at Yammer. I mean, I got along with everybody and everyone contributed in different ways. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that um, an investor can bring to a startup. Um, I, you know, let's say first is being a great sounding board. Um, you know, giving feedback, strategic advice. You're never going to be deeper in the problem than an entrepreneur, but I think you can provide. Um, you, you, again, you can just be a sounding board and make sure that that you give them feedback, make sure they're thinking about it the right way. Um, I also think that uh, investors tend to have more breath. So, you know, founders are, you know, hopefully just very heads down obsessed with what they're doing. Investors get a lot more breath and so they can bring, you know, benchmarks. They can kind of tell you, you know, what, what's working in other contexts. Uh, they can tell you what your numbers should be, you know, at this stage or, you know, what's a, what number, you know, is this CAC number a good number or a bad number? So, you know, I tend to think that uh, investors can provide perspective and, yeah. and that, can be, that can be helpful. Any pet peeves? Um, probably the thing that, that VCs do the most is just um, overestimate the number of things that a startup can really do. And so there tends, you know, if you have a board that every board member has kind of their pet thing they want the company to do, the reality is that startups just can't get that much done. Um, and so, you know, the thing I'm always pushing for is just focus, you know, like what is the one most important thing that we need to get right right now and let's just be obsessively focused on that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably the, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, but it just tends to be, um, just by having a lot of voices at the table, that can be the unintended consequences is you kind of defocus the company a little yeah. bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, David, thank you so much. We're so honored right. to have you here. And this was a wonderful conversation. Right. So Thanks, really Kara. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give thank David you. a round of applause. All right, All right great. Thanks. Yeah.